Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 87 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 19th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. If you're finding it difficult to make ends meet, to pay your rent, heat your home or replace a washing machine if it breaks down, you're advised by the government to seek an additional needs payment from your community welfare officer. There is now a high number of applications for supplementary welfare allowance. Time frame for the decision on claims are dependent on the volume of claims presenting. So now more and more people are waiting. And these are people who need it now. Now, and I do want to say the social welfare officers are doing their best, but they are fi- people are finding it hard to get through to the phone to speak to someone. In the meantime, uh, citizen information is not available to, available to help people because of lack of resources. The number of requests for help, the department says, has increased this year by some 60%. Last week, I put in a PQ about um, funding to the social welfare uh, offices. I'm told there's plenty there. Can we see some urgency here in increasing resources for the public? Thank you, Taoiseach. That's Fianna Fáil TD, Jennifer Murnan O'Connor, calling on more resources to be given to people who cannot afford basic essential. Now, that's on top of the €40 million Euro already spent this year on some 66,000 additional needs payments. Increasing resources has increased resources and will continue to increase resources in terms of the uh, additional needs payments and um, and very anxious also to get the timelines improved and we discussed that this morning um, and the Minister for Social Protection is very anxious that <coughs> that issue gets um, um, gets addressed because of the, the winter period that we're going into. Now what the Deputy may be interested in knowing is that there's been thousands and thousands of additional applicants now which means that the scheme is responding. The Department of Social Protection says that these additional needs payments are available to assist people with essential once-off exceptional expenditure that they cannot pay from their weekly income. As you heard the Taoiseach there say, there have been thousands and thousands of additional applicants. Let's speak to Suzanne Rogers, Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. Good morning to you, Suzanne, and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Why are there so many people, so many more people, uh, more to the point, in dire straits? I think every household in the country has experienced rising costs this year. So no matter where you are on the spectrum, your grocery bills have gone up, you're putting petrol in the car or diesel in the car has gone up, 
and you're putting the lights on and putting the heat on. So those costs have gone up. But for many households, they have a bit of wiggle room. They can afford it. They can absorb it. So it's those low-income households. It's the fixed-income households where there's no wiggle room. They've already budgeted to it an inch. They, there's nowhere to go. If, if one cost goes up, you've got to cut back somewhere else. And that's who's really, really struggling here. Like I was looking up a few other bits for something else I was doing and groceries according to a piece there I think it's Cantar I think is the organisation mm-hmm. the average grocery bill so you and me just go and buy it's exactly the same stuff that yep. we bought last year it's an extra 768 a year which is 14 a week so already just to be able to put the bread and the ham and the cheese and the you know the pound of sugar on the table it's an extra 14 a week so that has to come from somewhere else that's coming Mm. from your ESB and your gas right okay Uh, how does that compare to the increases people got in the budget well that's the thing so if you're on a core social welfare rate of 208 euro and the the pensioners as well they got their they got their extra so 12 euro is what they'll get from January onwards so we can already see that that doesn't cover those increased just the groceries yeah just the groceries yeah yeah. Yeah. and that's before you get to the light the heat and if your washing machine breaks down or if you need a new mattress or the pots have been burnt or something like that and that's why people go to the community welfare officer looking for one of these additional needs payments are you surprised at these figures from the department uh, 66,000 so far this year compared to 55,000 uh, for the same time uh, or for the entire of last year uh, and uh, of the 66,000 uh, that have sought uh, additional needs payments this year 3,500 of those were looking for help with household and heating bills I'd like to say I'm surprised but unfortunately I'm not we could see it building up <clears throat> from last year and again these are households if you're on long if you're on a long term fixed income you had no savings built up you had no contingencies built up so as you said all it takes is for one little thing to throw you completely off mabs are recording record calls to their helpline the Vincent de Paul again are recording record calls so we can see that there has been this build up and I think a lot of this is like even kind of coming from COVID. If you got into rent arrears or utility arrears through COVID, you were maybe just thinking to yourself, okay, I'm not going to even kill 2022, you know, new year, new me, all of that. And then boom, you know, we were straight into this huge cost of living increase that we haven't seen. Like we haven't seen those kind of inflation rates you know, in 40, 40 mm. odd years since the early 80s. And we haven't we have- really seen the impact of those inflation rates yet on our heating bills uh, in particular uh, and on our, our lighting bills because of uh, the darker evenings now that the prices have increased. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that they're this bad and we're only into September, October, I mean, I can see it just myself this morning. The light is on here because it's really dark. It's really mm. grey where I am. It's I can't very warm, see. though. It's very warm for for Halloween. It's very warm. Actually, I think they're talking about a heat wave in France. The weather is a bit freaky and we're to get all of this rain. But I, I think it's to stay relatively warm for the time of year, thank God. Well, fingers crossed. The light, the light can go on. The heat will have to come off. Mm. That's fair enough. But again, I'm even conscious, like how how much it takes to even ask for help. I'm so conscious of that as well. It takes an awful lot to say I can't cope. I need help. When like that's a huge thing as well. I think we kind of need to appreciate that yeah. that this is sixty six thousand people who have gone in and said, "I'm not coping. I need help." Mm. And again, I'm so conscious that the types of bills they're looking for assistance with 
do need to be dealt with much, much quicker. How much uh, quicker because, or how slow are they more to the point? We heard complaints uh, of that sort. We heard the Taoiseach uh, say there that he'd been discussing it with Heather Humphreys. Uh, the Minister has responsibility for this and both of them uh, want the time frame uh, to be shorter between when you go looking for help and when the payment is made. If you went down to the community welfare officer today, for example, and said you'd no oil in the house, uh, you'd be saying, thank God it's warm uh, because there is no oil in the house. Uh, how long would it take before you'd get a, a payment if it was approved? Well, the department has said that six, about, I don't know what about means, about 63% of all applications are finalised within four weeks. I saw that, so yeah. yeah. But, I, don't, but, I don't know what that means. But TDs, TDs seem to be saying it's a, a lot longer, that it can be a couple of months. I've heard eight to twelve weeks, yeah. and so again, I mean that other, um, you know, that other. What am I doing now? So thirty-seven percent is a terrible. My mental math is very bad now. Thirty-seven percent. I don't know how long they're waiting, mm. and I presume that they're not waiting less than four weeks. Yeah. So again, as you said, if there's no food in the cupboard, if you have a disconnection notice from your utility mm. provider, if you have no washing machine. I mean, I couldn't imagine going two weeks mm. without a washing machine. If you've yeah. got two or three kids in the house, forget yeah. it. Like going back to the days of scrubbing out school uniforms in the bath. I mean, yeah. that's in or knock, knock, knock it on your mother's door or your sister's door or going to the laundrette as uh, the case may be and you might find a, a way around that but if you go down and say you've no oil in the house uh, and you've to wait until Christmas before there's any heating put in uh, I'd imagine that the weather will have changed uh, it's cold at night now warm and all as it is for the time of year uh, but by then I'd, I'd imagine you'd be freezing I would have thought so. And again, I do appreciate that there are those lump sums and those double payments are coming this month and next month. They will um, be you know, gladly received in every household that's going to get their double fuel allowance, going to get their double payment. Mm. And again, you're getting your one-off lump sums and we're getting our utility credits as well. Um, so again, they will all be you know very gratefully received in, in households. But I'm conscious that they're what did I see? 125,000 households are already in utility arrears with the the, the main, you know, the, the mm-hmm. if you're hooked up to your gas and your electric through the, so not home heating or anything like that. Like that's a that's a massive amount of households already in arrears before yeah. we come into winter. So it is. I think it's going to be a very very difficult time and. Like we've just issued our poverty focus on Monday, and again, our key ask is that core social welfare is mm. being be increased by an extra eight to twenty, which is pretty much what every organisation in the community and voluntary sector asked for, mm. in order to prevent this type of thing. I mean, the cues for ANPs show that the core welfare rates are not enough. That's yeah, really that's, what it shows. ANPs is this additional needs payment, this once-off payment uh, for some essential uh, item or bill that needs to be paid that you can get through the community welfare officer. How many times can you go for a once-off payment? And what I mean by that, Suzanne, is can I go down to the community welfare officer today and say, I've no oil in the house, can you help me? And then go down tomorrow and say, I know I was in with you yesterday, but the washing machine broke down since... Uh, and so on. They do process each one on a case-by-case basis. And I know sometimes that's probably the worst answer that anybody can hear. Um, You would be expected, I suppose, to show some sort of, you know, where where your money's coming in and where your money's going to, all of that kind of thing. So I know that they will ask questions about what income comes into the house and where it's going and all of those. But as you said, these are, these are called exceptional needs. So the additional needs... um, 
or the exceptional needs, things like bereavements and so forth. As you said, if you get a if you get a family bereavement this month and a washing machine breaks down next month, you can't foresee that. And again, because you're on low income, you've got no savings, you've got no contingencies. I don't know whether you could go down every two months or every every three months and say I'm falling behind with the ESB and the gas, which I think is what's going to happen because our bills have gotten so high. So mm. some of the companies have increased their bills by 40-50%. So that's exceptional. Like That's additional outgoings that you have no possibility of ever being able to manage yeah. when your your bills have gone so high. Well, if you were finding it hard already, as you say, you get your €12 Euro increase, which you don't get till January, already the basket of shopping has gone up by €14 Euro, and you have all of uh, these uh, additional payments on, on top of that. If uh, somebody listening to us wants to apply for an additional needs payment. Uh, I think for some people it'll be a big decision and uh, they won't do it lightly, but um, how do they do that? Do they have to go and see the community welfare officer face-to-face uh, because uh, it can be difficult to get to some of them? It can be, and I know that it's all done through the Department of Social Protection now. So it used to be um, it used to be the relieving officer in the health centre years and years and years ago, and it's it's sort of you know it, it moved around consistently. But again, I would encourage anybody struggling with utility bills to contact the Money Advice and Budgeting Service, and also there are lots of other charities out there mm. as well that will be able to to help. Um, but it would be a case of getting in touch with the local Department of Social Protection office or what I like to call the dole office the local dole yeah. office would be able to put you in touch and, and you have to go in though and see them face to face and that's even if you have to commute I'm not sure about okay. that anymore mm. maybe post Covid there might be sort of yeah. wiggle room because again we're back into this whole thing of it mm. costs to leave your house it costs if you have to bring two or three maybe small kids with you if you have to try and squeeze it in maybe between a school run yeah. so I, I'm not sure now, again, because I, I don't want to say yes or no to that because, again, they might okay. be operating slightly differently across okay. the country. I, I, I know that there was some complaints uh, about uh, some of the officers being centralised and making it difficult to get to them uh, in County Meath, uh, but uh, there could be a, a further delay in getting paid. Uh, the department says four weeks, I, I suppose, is an average, if we can interpret what they're saying, to mean that others are saying it can take up to two months. Uh, but that could be because you didn't supply the right documentation according to the department uh, and they'll come back to you looking for uh, additional uh, information and that can slow down uh, your application. So I suppose it's a question of having all your ducks in a row and having all your boxes ticked and so on. Which again is a big ask. So if you're already, it's again, picking up the phone, admitting that you're not coping is a really, it's such a a hard thing to do. So the fact that you've gone and asked for help, this is seen as, an individual failing as opposed to a systems failure. Mm. And, I mean, again, you could see it in one of the newspaper pieces here that I'll quote it, like all social welfare payments, ANPs are subjects to controls to detect and prevent fraud. So that's always in the back of the mind as well. You know, are you genuine? Are you genuine? Mm. You haven't to prove you're genuine. So again, that's another burden, I suppose, placed on people who aren't coping. If you've got literacy skills, um, issues with literacy skills, if English isn't your first language, I mean, I've I've dealt in in a previous life, I would have dealt with, you know, young kids having Mm. to translate 
this kind of information on behalf of parents who can't speak English. So, I mean, if you're yeah. bringing eight, nine-year-olds in to translate for you, like, that's yeah. just, you know, the whole thing is fraught. I, I think it'd be um, very interesting as well to know uh, how much is being spent on the administration of this. 40 million spent so far, uh, was that 40 million in payments or was that 35 million in payments and 5 million on the administration of it all Uh, and if you've no oil in the tank if I can use that example again today if you go to the community welfare officer and tell them so uh, will they uh, fill your tank or will they give you a half tank or a quarter tank meaning you'll have to go back again in a couple of months uh, which will mean that you'll need somebody there to do that job Uh, and that's what the government is spending money on Uh, the Taoiseach saying that they were going to increase the resources to reduce the time I take it that means that there'll be more people working on this uh, but there's a cost in that and could that money be saved if it was given to people directly through social welfare payments This is the thing that fascinates me that departmentalised siloed approach to all of this we, um, if you increase core social welfare rates and say pension rates by the extra eight, so bring it up to the 20 like we and lots of other organisations have asked, that would cost about 600 million. And I'm conscious that that 600 million is a saving because, as you said, if you are left without home heating oil for weeks, you are going to be sick if you cannot afford to eat nutritious food. If you, you know, if you're cutting back on your own diet in order maybe to make sure that the kids are fed, you are going to become ill. The Department of Health is going to be under, it's already under serious pressure after two years, even pre-COVID. So we had the health service pre-COVID, we had the health service during COVID. And it's still like the numbers in hospitals are still, you know, steady enough, still in ICU, it's steady enough. Um, These people are going to become ill physically. The anxiety is going to cause serious, again, mental health issues, all of that. And they're going to present, you know, we're going to, you know, we talk about trolley crisis and all of that kind of stuff. So I would have thought, surely if you spend the money, if the Department of Social Protection spends the money, you will make a saving in health, you will make a saving in education. Kids will be going to school with full bellies, they'll be able to pay attention. It's all of that joined up stuff. It's exactly that point you're making, that why would you not spend this money on putting it into people's pockets and allowing them to just, as you said, just buy the, you know, buy the oil um, and rather than having to go through all of this Mm. in order to be able to, to just maintain basic standards of living. Like, okay. it doesn't make any sense to me. All right. Well, uh, I suppose uh, there's two ways of looking at it. Um, the uh, department uh, is throwing everything at it. Uh, I suppose that's a, a good thing. Uh, the reason for that is a very bad thing, and that's mm. because more and more people, thousands and thousands, as the Taoiseach put it, uh, need help. Suzanne, we have to leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Suzanne Rogers, Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, you might wonder who polices uh, the internet. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody can answer that definitively, but we do know that there's a lot of good things that happen on the internet and there's a lot of bad things that happen on the internet. And uh, there's a, an organisation in America, the US National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children, that monitor the internet and they send on information about suspected child sexual abuse material that has been shared on the internet and the people sharing it to uh, the police uh, authorities in jurisdictions around the world, including on Garda Shia Khanna. 
Uh, let's speak uh, to Liam Herrick, who's uh, the Executive uh, Director of uh, the Irish Council of Civil Liberties. Uh, a very good morning to you, Liam, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. 21,000 referrals apparently between 2017 uh, and 2021. And in 2020, Gardaí verified that more than 11% of the reports referred to them or 471 referrals were not child sex abuse material. Uh, but this uh, then begs the question, why have the Gardaí not deleted that data? Thanks, Michael. I think that, that, that summarises the, the net issue here for us. Um, the problem of child sexual abuse material on the internet is one of the more serious forms of crime and it, it, it's a huge international problem. And we have quite an unusual system internationally operating at the moment to deal with this, which is this body in the United States, which is a not-for-profit organization, it's not a, the FBI or the CIA, and collects information that's shared with it either by members of the public or more significantly by the technology companies who match uh, messages that they have, content that they see, against a database of established child abuse material. And this central body in the United States then contacts law enforcement agencies around the world, including in our case in Garda Síochána. It flags material that it thinks may be um, prosecutable as child sexual abuse material, and then law enforcement bodies investigate it and process it. And we, we began asking a Garda Síochána about how they operate this system in 2021, and what we found in the responses we got from Agarda Chiacana was that in the year 2020, they received over 4,000 referrals from the National Centre in the United States. But 11% of those they were able to prove were completely innocent material. And can, you, can you explain that? Uh, in America, they thought this might be child sexual uh, abuse, uh, that uh, images of children being uh, abused uh, that are being shared on the internet. The Gardaí looked at it and said they're not. Uh, what were they looking at? Well, the guards gave us examples of the types of things that could be incorrectly flagged. For example, family pictures of children on a beach or in a bath or, or whatever else that might be that might incorrectly be identified by an algorithm, by artificial intelligence, as child sexual abuse material might be one example. Mm. We, we know from other jurisdictions in the United States, for example, there was a case last year in San Francisco where a family were asked by a GP to share an image of a child's infection with the GP by uh, email so that the doctor could make a remote diagnosis. And that was incorrectly flagged as child sexual abuse material, Mm. which led in that instance to the person's email and uh, Google accounts being shut down. Completely innocent. uh, On the request of a a doctor uh, and uh, nothing to do with uh, abuse, a medical uh, situation, uh, but uh, algorithms or whatever looked at a child uh, in a state of undress possibly uh, and thought there might be abuse there. So, so the first problem this indicates is a problem of false positives. This is a really difficult area. And you have on one side some policymakers that are overly optimistic about the accuracy of such systems and believe that we can introduce mass surveillance of our emails and our messaging and there won't be a problem of false positives. And then on the other hand, we have the lived experience that in the Irish case, it seems that 11% of the, the material that was flagged was completely innocent. Uh, and in the United States and in other jurisdictions, we're seeing similar amounts coming out. But, but the second problem is that it seems in the Irish example, 
that even when in Garda Shikana had itself decided the information was innocent, that it kept the information. So it keeps the referral data, which is about somebody's IP address, email address, and so on. Mm. And the problem that arises there is that this is material that it has decided is completely innocent, and we believe there's no legal basis for them retaining that data. And that if you're a completely innocent person, your rights are being violated by that information being retained, but it raises a further question, Mm. you know, is that information being used in any way? Are there further consequences for those innocent people and, and the answer to that is we don't quite know. All right. Well, uh, try to explain what that might mean. Uh, if, for example, uh, I went to the beach with my son and my two nieces, uh, and because I think that's one of the examples that you were saying, took a photograph of them, uh, sent it on to me, brother, and said, the kids are having great fun, all that sort of thing. Uh, this could end up with the guardie uh, because uh, it, it might be perceived uh, uh, as a potential uh, thing that could be child abuse wrongly. The guards look at it and go, no, sure, it's just some kids on the beach. Uh, yeah. will, I, will I know about it or what happens then? Well, the indications are, first of all, that y- you wouldn't be notified. Um, it, it may also be the case that nothing happens at information, that, that it may be that the guards were not either aware that they were retaining this information before we made inquiry or that they were aware but th- that it was not being accessed or processed in any further way. Uh, and it, it does indicate probably a, a deeper issue within Angarda Shikana and how they approach the problem of dealing with sensitive personal information or information of this type. They have internally been flagging for several years that they don't have enough staff, they don't have enough training, they don't have enough resources to deal with the enormous challenges posed by cybercrime. Mm. So I, I think that th- there is a structural problem here that the guards themselves have flagged in internal audits earlier this year. Okay, you're not concerned at all by the sounds of it that uh, the guards are saying there's no smoke without fire and if uh, this person de- person's details have been sent on to us by the centre in America, uh, well, there's some smoke well, there and perhaps there's some fire. Well, we, we honestly don't know. I mean, we first asked questions about the guards about how they operate the system in March 2021. We got a series of responses in October 2021 which it conceded that they were holding these uh, 11 to 471 referrals that were completely innocent, that they were holding them, that they may not be a legal basis for it, and they were getting a legal opinion to explore the matter further. That's a year ago. We've had follow-up correspondence with them. We've asked the question, is anybody else inside the guards mm. accessing it? Is it relevant, for example, to the problem of vetting? Mm. You know? And we haven't got a response. So it does seem that in Garda Corner are now trying to see what they're doing themselves and what the law is in relation to that. But, but the, the, the honest answer is we don't know. It may be yeah. that this is just a complete systems failure, or, or, or it may be that there are other risks of innocent people being wrongly flagged as being involved in serious crime. Right. Now, you kind of uh, nobody wants that. flagged my next question, because if I, if I go back to that example of the beach uh, and I, I send on a, an innocent photo of the cousins building sandcastles or, or whatever it is, uh, and it ends up uh, being sent on to the guards from this centre in America, and it stays on their system, even though they've said uh, nothing to see there, uh, what happens then if I, I want to go for a, a job as a, a, a childminder, social worker or something like that? Uh, would that come up on the system? Or 
if I'm driving home tonight and I'm hit by a, a drunk driver or something like that and uh, the police file is taken up, uh, 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 will there be something there to say, well, be careful of that fella because uh, there's something there that sort of implies he might have been involved uh, in predatory behaviour? As I'm saying, we, we don't know. We have no indication that there is a communication between this database of flagged child sexual abuse material and the wider Pulse system. We have no indication that that is happening. We don't have confirmation that it doesn't happen. And we've been asking this question of the guards for over a year. I mean, we have been trying to get to the bottom of this. And the reason that we're releasing this information now is because there's a European-wide research project looking at these kind of problems in every European country that we're part of because the European Union is at the moment proposing far more invasive searching of people's messaging, including their private encrypted messages, their WhatsApp messages and so on, which we think will exacerbate this problem much, much more. So we think at this time, it's, it's so urgent now that we need to get to the bottom of what is happening, how we make sure that there isn't inappropriate retaining and sharing of information. And we also need to really have a hard look at what is the best way to deal with this problem of child abuse material. Is it to surveil everybody's private communications in the hope of finding a needle in a haystack? Or is it to properly resource police and criminal justice agencies to actually investigate serious crime and detect it in that way? And I think that that is the big choice at the European level. But I, I think what we're seeing in the Irish context is that we have a problem, that the systems aren't suited to deal with this issue, that there's a risk that innocent people are being flagged inappropriately, and that the guards don't have enough resources to, to deal with what is a very technical and complex area. OK. Lame, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. That's Liam Herrick, who's the Executive Director of the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing on LMFM's news, uh, there's very real concern uh, that an accident is waiting to happen on the Armagh Road just outside of Dundalk. Let's hear a little bit more about this. Finnegal Councillor John Riley is on the line, and thank you indeed, uh, John, for joining us on the programme. You're uh, concerned that somebody will be killed. Uh, Michael, thank you very much for having me on. Um, yes, Michael, I'm very, very concerned about this issue. Um, obviously, for uh, listeners who don't live um, locally, um, we've it's a combination of a few issues. The road has been lowered down and there's been a realignment on the road. Um, t- there's a planning commission in for a Dundalk North business park. That's a very substantial 47-acre site uh, for an industrial unit. And the road realignment then was to facilitate a filter lane, um, a filter lane into that premises. Obviously, the, um, the construction of the whole realignment of the road reduced the height of the road, but there was no allowance made then for a footpath out to the former Carnbeg Hotel. Mm. All this has happened in the last 12 months. Um, as we know from international developments, um, the Carnbeg Hotel now is now a refugee centre. It's been rented by the Department of Justice. And actual fact, most and quite a lot of the refugees are all looking for asylum and quite a lot are actually from 
Afghanistan. And, mm. um, and you have a lot of people you know, coming and, and going and to facilitate that, uh, there's a, a fence that has been cut uh, to make uh, it, it easy to get a, a across the road. And that uh, yes. seems to be at the root of the problem, is it? Uh, the, the fence has been cut in the last few days with the cooperation then of the management company who are running the hotel. But that still means you're walking over a grass, mucky area mm. then to, to link up with the county council footpath. Um, the county council, I believe, drew up the design of the road realignment. Um, the road has the hard shoulder. Part of the nub of this problem is the hard shoulder on the right-hand side going out of Dundalk was taken away. Now, there's 200... Now, obviously, this is to do with asylum seekers, but there's actually people living out in Balrig and mm. in Kerkurry and the local people who would like to use access to a footpath in that area. So it's a general health and safety issue, but... I live out there and I've just been pushed around from Billy the Jack almost the whole year on this. Mm. Um, Minister McEntee uh, said that it was a problem then for the junior minister, Mr. Minister Gorman. Now, he, I had to email him five times for him to come back to me. Nice. And, he's, and he's saying now that it's more or less a Department of Transport problem and a Loud County Council problem. Now, at the meeting mm. on... And, and the Council have sent you back in the first direction to the International Protection Accommodation Services, yes, uh, which would come under right. Minister O'Gorman's remit. So, I suppose it got a bit heated on Monday at the Council meeting because I see, as I say, the, the Minister O'Gorman has actually added another shuttle bus. The taxpayer is paying for three shuttle buses now a day to leave the hotel to, to what he called a transport um, the occupants of the hotel into town mm. to try and eliminate walking. There's 200 able-bodied men there. I don't think they actually require a shuttle bus. Right. They're, they'd be quite willing to walk into town. And the evening times over the summer, the local people would see them there coming out from Aldi and coming out mm. from shops in town, carrying groceries, and they're walking on a, a dangerous road. Are you the saying, though, that the bus is put on because it's too dangerous to walk? Yes. <laughs> the department have actually put on... So, in one sense, the Department have acknowledged there is a danger, but I actually asked for an engineer's report from Loud County Council, which was agreed upon, and I met an engineer out there in May, and the lady in question was, obviously she was going to other employment and she was leaving the County Council in two weeks' time, and uh, I had never seen the report. So, I suppose I got frustrated because I'm being kicked from one person to the other, from the council to the department, different government departments. And why I made the statement mm. was that I can see, you know, unless this is sorted out soon, there's an accident waiting to happen. You know, you can't, these people are seeking asylum. There's engineers up there. There's people mm. from every walk of life. Of Some of them are only staying quite yeah. a short time. Their paperwork is sorted out. And then there's new people coming in. It's, it's the health and safety issue that is my main concern, okay. both for the people using the hotel and for the local community. Okay, um, the council has said it, it, it's not their issue. Uh, we'll take the issue up our, our, ourselves and bring it to the Minister for Justice and uh, indeed uh, the Minister for Children, John, and return to you if that's all right. That's uh, fine, it, that's it do, fine. It, it does sound like a, a very uh, <laughs> serious issue and one to be greatly concerned about. Uh, as I say, we're very Richard, frustrating, Michael. And oh, that's yeah, why well, I had to, what do you call it, that's why I had to make them remarks on Monday's meeting because okay. um, I wasn't getting properly listened to. But I think now 
Um, I think all concerned now realise how serious I am on this issue. Okay. All right. We'll come back to you, John. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Thank you very much indeed, uh, John Riley, Finnegale Councillor. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, a guard statement uh, that has uh, come to us uh, this morning uh, appealing for information regarding the Bell Turbot bombing on the 28th of December 1972. The statement says uh, that at 28 minutes past 10 on uh, the 28th of December in 1972, a car bomb exploded outside of Farley's pub in McGowan's Drapery on Main Street in Bell Turbot. Two children, Patrick Stanley, 16 years of age, from Clara in County Offaly, and Geraldine O'Reilly, 15 years of age, from Drumcannon in Bell Turbot, were killed instantly and eight more people were injured. Uh, the statement says uh, that following a review of uh, the investigation, uh, the guards have identified a number of lines of inquiry. A senior investigator, I beg your pardon, a senior investigating officer has been appointed to lead the investigation and an incident room has been established at Ballyconnell Station. And the guardie are appealing to anyone who has information in relation to the Bell Turbot bombing on the evening of the 28th of December 1972 to contact them in Ballyconnell. Let's speak uh, to Margaret Irwin of Justice for the Forgotten. A very good morning to you, Margaret, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, It's a a very unusual appeal for such an historic uh, atrocity. Uh, What do you know uh, about the Garda investigation, if anything? Well, we've been meeting with the Gardaí now for the last year, um, the, fam- the two families, the O'Reilly family and the Stanley family and myself, have been meeting with the Gardaí, um, the Gardaí in uh, Monaghan, uh, who are based in Monaghan. And um, we, we were expecting this for a while. We knew that um, a review had been undertaken. We knew that it was complete and that several new lines of inquiry had been identified. And uh, we were told about two weeks ago now uh, that uh, it was going to go to a full investigation. So obviously the families are delighted. Justice for the Forgotten is delighted that this has at last happened. And uh, of course, as the date tells you, we are approaching the 50th anniversary on the 28th of December. Such a, a, a time of year uh, for any kind of a, an attack on, on people, but uh, it really was a, an atrocity, wasn't it? It was. Uh, yes, a, absolutely. Yeah. A, a no warning uh, loyalist bomb attack. Tell us a, yes, a little yes, bit more a about no what warning. you know. A, a no warning uh, loyalist bomb attack. On the same night, of course, they also. Um, a bomb exploded at just two minutes past 10 in Clonus mm. and then at uh, 28 minutes past 10 in Beltarbert and a third bomb exploded uh, around uh, after 11, I think, um, in Mulna Gold, which is just outside Petticoat in County Donegal. So those three bombs were all linked. Mm. And... Uh, Thankfully, there was no loss of life in the other two attacks, yeah. although two young men were very seriously injured in Clonus. Mm. Uh, property was damaged extensively in uh, Mulna Gold. It was uh, Britain's pub there. But sadly, the loss of life occurred in Beltarbert with uh, two young people with their whole lives ahead of them. Yeah. 16 years old, uh, Paddy Stanley, and 15 years old, Geraldine O'Reilly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, 
very hard to understand. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people uh, who just won't be able to fathom what happened on this island. I mean, uh, if you're watching the news these days from the Ukraine and you see the Russian attacks on civilians making their way to work in Kiev, uh, it it really uh, makes you feel sick to the stomach uh, for any armed force to attack civilians. But that's exactly what happened in 1972. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, indeed. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's great that it's happening now. It has taken a very long time. And um, I know uh, some of the retired Gardaí based in that area were had made some tentative inquiries, but um, it wasn't until the current um, um, superintendent took office in Monaghan, that's uh, Superintendent Pat O'Connell, and uh, he really has got his teeth into this and uh, he has appointed an inspector. He appointed him to carry out the review and now he has been appointed as the senior investigating officer. So it's all very, it's a very positive development as far as the families and ourselves are concerned. Mm. Uh, and <coughs> Paddy Stanley uh, was a helper on a colour gas delivery lorry uh, this is in the Garda statement. They say that there was a problem with the lorry and he and the driver decided to stay in Belturbid overnight and that's when uh, the bomb exploded. Uh, he, mm-hmm. was a, he, yes. was a, he was in a phone box at the time on the phone to his parents to tell them that he, he wouldn't be coming home. Uh, his parents have since deceased and uh, he was uh, one of nine siblings. Um, Geraldine, uh, her parents have since uh, passed on. She'd seven siblings and uh, she had gone into town with her brother Anthony to get food and they were eating in the restaurant when the car bomb went off, apparently. Well, she was in, it was a chip shop actually and she was, uh, she was in there. Anthony was waiting outside in the car for her uh, when the bomb exploded. Uh, yes. That's how that happened. And mm. yes, Paddy Stanley had never been in Beltorbert in his life and he was it was just a, a holiday job I think uh, uh, this um, helper on a lorry and um, they they got stuck there overnight and uh, he had never been there before 
So a uh, terribly sad situation. Mm. And uh, it's very sad that the parents of both of them have passed away. And in fact, the Stanley parents have passed away more recently. And Joe Stanley was really determined for many years to try to get to the bottom of this. So it's very sad that they're not around to um, to see this today. Are you expecting... Uh there to be significant developments? Uh, are you expecting that there will be arrests? Are, are there, is there the potential for prosecutions? Uh, it is 50 years on, but this uh, uh, statement uh, will come as a surprise to many of us this morning, I think. Yes, of course, it will uh, come as a huge surprise because it's the first such case. We have many cases, uh, as you know, and this is the first time that uh, that a new guard investigation has been initiated in any of them. Yes, it is a big surprise, but it's a very welcome one. And um, I think uh, I wouldn't like to preempt anything that's going to happen in the investigation at this stage. We just hope uh, for the best. We don't know, as you say, you know, um, prosecutions would be unlikely after such a long time, but we don't want to rule out anything. And uh, so we just have to wait and see. I would also like to pay tribute to uh, Frank Shoulders of RTE, who made the documentary The Forgotten Bomb, which was... uh, which was broadcast some time ago, and I think that uh, that gave impetus to the campaign as well. Mm. Yeah, and uh, well done uh, on all of the work uh, that uh, you and uh, your group has put into this, uh, for that matter, Margaret, and uh, thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Well, uh, thank you very much. And uh, mm. yes, if you can put out the phone numbers uh, for anybody who may yeah. have information, no matter sure. how... How little it is, it would be very much welcomed by the Gardaí at the incident room, which has sure. been okay. set up at Ballyconnell Garda Station. Yeah, that's 049-95-255-80. That's 049-95-255-80. Uh, of course, you can give information to the Gardaí confidentially if for some reason... Uh, you want to do that, there's a confidential free phone number and that's one 800 one and Crime Stoppers can be reached on one 800 Margaret, thank you. Yeah. Much. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, always nice to talk to you, Margaret, but uh, particularly nice to talk to you today with a significant uh, development of this. Yes. Thank you very much yes, indeed. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, that's uh, Margaret Irwin of Justice for the G- Forgotten. Now, let me bring you some of the comments that have been coming to us uh, today. Jimmy in touch with us uh, when uh, we were speaking to Social Justice Ireland to say that it can take weeks to get to see the community welfare officer. You have to fill out a form and make an appointment. It's a decision that is made and then you have to appeal it. Uh, and then that can take another couple of weeks. Thank you indeed, uh, Jimmy, the department saying four weeks. Plenty of people saying otherwise, like you, that it can take up to two months. Um, Stephen in Drogheda telling us a, about a situation that his sister has found herself in renting a property in Drogheda. She, he says uh, the family next door to her was evicted because the landlord's daughter wanted to move in. 
the landlord only gave the family a month to leave when they've been living there for at least five years. What right does a landlord have to do this kind of thing? It's absolutely disgusting and uh, appalling. Something should be done about it. Yeah, well, the landlord actually doesn't have the right to do that, Stephen. I don't know if the people have moved out yet, uh, but uh, after five years there, I think they'd be talking about uh, somewhere in the region of six months' notice. Uh, They can be served with a, a notice to quit and they will have to leave uh, within uh, the time frame. Um, there is a question uh, about this moratorium now and if that will apply to people like your sister's neighbour, uh, but they certainly shouldn't be moved out uh, in such a short time frame, uh, no less than six months, uh, and all the paperwork has to be in place. Now, if uh, that isn't the case, you can go to the RTB, that's the Residential Tenancies Board, uh, and complain. Uh, and uh, if you feel you'd like help doing that, you can get that through Threshold, uh, and uh, you'll find uh, Threshold on the internet at threshold.ie. Uh, there's lots of ways of getting in touch with them, uh, and if uh, you need any more assistance with that, Stephen, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. Uh, give us a, a call and we can give you the help number uh, for Threshold, or indeed how to contact the RTB, if you like. Uh, uh, we'd uh, somebody else in touch saying that there's no double payment uh, for people who are on long-term illness. Uh, and uh, a lot of people saying, I'm getting nothing out of this in the comments coming to us. Uh, we'd uh, somebody saying uh, that it's uh, not for the ordinary Joe Soap, um, that uh, if you ring for help, uh, you get nothing. Uh, and the scammers seem to get everything that's going. Look at, uh, at what Santa seems to be bringing to the children of some of these cheats for Christmas. They seem to get lots of presents uh, that a working family can't afford. Thank you for that. Um, we'd uh, Somebody else in touch about the welfare officer, the community welfare officer, saying you'll be given a form to fill in so many questions. They nearly ask you when you last went to the toilet. They look for uh, a bank statement or a statement from the credit union. They want everything off you. So then it's going to take four to six weeks to process. It's not much good if you have no washing machine or if you're short of something. It's the same as always, uh, says our caller. Uh, uh, Navin listener says it's a joke that we don't have buses uh, to take kids to school uh, when people are being bussed into town in Dundalk because the road is too dangerous and they won't fix the road. Um, we'd Betty in oh I read Betty's comment uh, thanks uh, for your comment Betty by the way I didn't uh, uh, put your name to it Eamon uh, in touch with us uh, saying he lives in Trim and the community welfare officer has gone to Navin it's a, a disgrace uh, did mention that earlier on Eamon I know there's a lot of upset uh, about that uh, somebody else in touch saying we're frozen in the house the only way uh, we put the heat on uh, is uh, we're not able to actually we're not entitled to anything uh, as we work uh, and the rent is 1400 a month so we're not entitled to go to the community well actually if you're on low pay you can go to the community welfare officer if you're finding it hard uh, to heat your home uh, and, uh, and it's probably a timely call for that matter uh, somebody else in touch saying it's just getting worse and worse I, I, I have to put my car up for sale I just did this I simply can't afford to run it anymore it's an absolute joke that the government is allowing this to happen I'll probably lose my job as a result of not having a car and as I live in the countryside with no bus route the hospitals are a joke can't even get a doctor's appointment 
Uh, our caller goes on to say they won't answer the phone. They're just too busy. The homeless list is getting longer and longer. The electricity, the gas, the cost is simply madness. Just greed. The people of Ireland are on the edge of a cliff, but we won't jump. We will fight back uh, and the government needs to be listening to us. Uh, somebody else in touch with us earlier this morning. I think it's after the primetime programme uh, on uh, the antisocial behaviour in O'Connell Street saying it's not only O'Connell Street in Dublin, but most other towns in Ireland. Idiots out of their heads on drugs and drink. They can be seen in Navin any day now, staggering around and making a nuisance of themselves for decent people. Ah, sure, well, here the guards have no resources to deal with it. If a politician has to come to town, there's plenty of resources all of a sudden to police the town, and that's okay. If this is not nipped in the bud, uh, it's going to get worse again, says our Navin listener. Uh, and they ask if this is what the men and women of 1916 fought and died for. What a shame. Thank you indeed if you have been in touch with us today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the 10% concrete levy announced in the budget was seen as the big banana skin in the budget with government coming under significant pressure because of how that will push house prices up and result in what farmers would consider to be unnecessary costs to pay for the mica problem, uh, a problem that was not of their doing or of the doing of first-time buyers. The government has said it's going to stand firm, there will be no U-turn and indeed it is telling us that it is going to be in place and for the foreseeable future. Well, that's apart from uh, delaying it from April next year until September. Uh, and uh, that it is to be applied to concrete blocks and pouring concrete, but not to precast concrete. And that it was to raise 80 million, but it'll only raise 32 million now because that rate of 10% is actually being reduced to 5%. Let's speak to Labour's spokesperson on finance, Jed Nash, who's a TD for Loud and East Mead. Good morning to you, Jed. And thanks for joining us. Are you surprised that the government is standing as firm as it is? Um, well, I, I'm not surprised that they've done a, a U-turn of, of sorts. Um, this has become a, a major issue, at least uh, the way it's played out in the media, is that it's a major issue between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. It seems to me, in fact, what's happened is that the construction industry has gotten at uh, Fianna Fáil backbenchers, and that's why the uh, levy has been watered down. I don't think it's necessarily concerned about the impact, uh, as far as they're concerned, on first-time buyers, uh, although that's the spin that's been put out. I think the, the reality here is that uh, there was always going to have to be a contribution uh, made by the construction industry generally uh, to funding the redress scheme for those who are living in uh, uh, MICA-affected homes. But also as well, not, don't forget, Michael, the uh, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people across the country who've been affected by very serious uh, construction defects in, in apartment complexes built over the last 20 or so years. Mm. So we need to look at this in the round. There's always going to have to be a contribution made because it's not the taxpayer exclusively that should vote the bill. The responsible um, industry is the construction industry more generally. Uh, mm. The banks also as well, I think, have a sin to answer for here. I say that because, and this is why we proposed, for example, an extension of the bank levy. Banks... Uh, 
you know, handed out, uh, you know, provided mortgages, I should say, to, you know, eligible customers. Um, there's an onus then on the banks to make sure that the assets that they're funding uh, 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 passes muster. Uh, you know, where where were surveyors in this, for mm. example, uh, you know, those engaged by the banks to make sure that their asset was sound? So the banks have gotten away scot-free and there's been a consequence-free approach taken by the Construction Industry Federation as well. Um, so what about the we, we have an issue. Yeah, yeah, I mean, no, precisely. And when, when, I, when I talk about the construction industry, the most directly responsible right. subsector mm-hmm. of the construction okay. industry is the quarries. Uh, and so. you, you say a levy on profits uh, would be the right way to uh, approach this. What do you make of, instead of, of uh, this uh, uh, 10% uh, or 5% as it is now, what do you make of uh, this levy now that will raise 32 million? Uh, that seems very little considering that the micro redress scheme is going to run to over 2 billion. That's right, and the reality is that the uh, construction defects redress process, the, the, the working group that was established by the department to establish what the cost of that might be over a period of years ranges from between 1.56 billion to 2.5 billion. And, and I go back to the point that I made earlier on, Michael, it should not be exclusively up to the taxpayer, uh, our citizens across the country, to 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 um, fund the bulk of necessary redress. This this has to happen because of a regulatory failure on the part of, of the state. Uh, what needs to happen here is a, a change of approach in terms of how this is funded by the construction industry. And what we've proposed, and you're right, what we proposed in our alternative budget would be a recurring 2% levy on the profits generated from construction activities in Ireland. And that's relatively easily done. I mean, any uh, the, the revenue commissioners know uh, who's making profits they know the scale of those profits. Our analysis would suggest that that could uh, involve about 15 million euros a year over a 10 year period that would fund, for example, the seed funding that we set aside in our alternative budget for 500 million euros to start the redress process for MICA affected residents mm. and for those who are experiencing construction defects in their apartments. People can't get insurance, Michael. I mean, it's not, not even just the case of, you know, the CIF, the Construction Industry Federation, I've been talking about, well, there's a few bad apples mm. uh, who, who, who behaved uh, uh, appallingly in this regard. If you look at it, 80% of all apartments constructed in Ireland uh, between the mid-1990s and the early 2010s were found to be defective. That's not just a small number of bad apples, that's an industry, uh, that, that's an industry-wide problem, and the industry itself needs to stand up. They didn't attend, for example, the, the hearings on construction defects in the Rockers Committee in 2020. They've only now gone engaged in the argument because uh, their own individual members and the industry is going to be affected. And we're arguing that the 2% you know, recurring levy in profits minimises the risk of, of the cost being passed on to first-time buyers. We're all mm. conscious of the escalating costs for first-time buyers. That minimises the risk. It's handled by the revenue commissioners. It's properly targeted at those who are who are making profits. And we think that's manageable. It's never risk-free. Never risk-free. But there has to be a contribution mm. made. Yeah, and there is an argument against that. People will say it'll end up uh, being paid for by first-time buyers, uh, as with uh, the concrete levy that the government had proposed. Uh, and uh, I suppose you could trash that out forever and uh, a day. But the government is looking at raising 32 million euro, ra- looking at, at raising 50 million a year uh, with a, a bill of over 2 billion. Uh, how's the shortfall going to be made up? Well, that, that's it. I mean, the government hasn't answered that question uh, and it's not going to be a, 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 an easy question uh, to answer. There's no doubt uh, about that. I mean, one suggestion that was made by the ESRI a couple of weeks ago was that the windfall corporation tax uh, receipts could be used to, to, to part or wholly fund these redress schemes. I'm not necessarily sure about that. I think that appeared to me to be a bit of a knee-jerk reaction uh, to, to, to a bigger problem. Uh, they have said, of course, that the ESRI, that, that 
there is a risk that the you know additional cost here would be passed on to first time buyers. We always have to be conscious of that. And actually, if you look at what's happening today, Michael, in terms of the, the proposed new central bank rules, uh, well, you know, first time buyers might say, look, that that, that I, I'm better fixed now in terms of uh, buying a house in in in, in Lauda East Mead. But the reality is. That What's likely to happen there is that uh, homes will, will will increase will increase in cost, increase in value. So people end up simply just chasing that, uh, and that's 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 that that that's that the problem. So no easy fix to this. Ultimately, there is going to have to be a significant contribution by the exchequer on the basis that this was you know a, a system that that. that Failed from a regulation point of view, um, people need the support. Um, you know, our, the first thing we always need to think about is those who are living in infected apartments. The fact that they find it difficult to obtain insurance. The fact that these places are are are, are many of them very manifest manifestly you know, fire risks. People living in Donegal, Mayo, and elsewhere around the country living in might get affected properties. It's an absolute living nightmare for them, and they do need the support. And the state has a responsibility, but the banks and the construction industry also have a responsibility too—a very significant responsibility. Okay, we live there. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us as always. Uh, that's uh, Labour's spokesperson on finance, Jed Nash, a TD for Louth and East Meath. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing, uh, the central bank is expected uh, to change its borrowing limits, uh, mortgage borrowing limits, and uh, allow uh, those who are hoping uh, to buy property to borrow up to four times uh, their income. That's up from three and a half times, which is uh, the existing limit. David Hall, CEO of iCare Housing and co-founder of the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation, joins us now. Good morning to you, David, and thanks uh, indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. People have been finding it impossible to uh, afford somewhere to buy and all the more so with an increase in mortgage interest rates. Is this a good idea or a bad idea? I think it's a good idea uh, in the main. I think it's, it, it's must remember, um, I do one of the tricks of this to understand is this is one, one aspect of an application. I think, uh, unfortunately, some people who've gone through this process of borrowing from a bank, as I have done myself in the last 18 months, will understand that this most certainly is one aspect of an application. It is not an automatic uh, approval. And as you've mentioned there in your introduction, like there's so much happening at the moment. Like Interest rates are different this week than they were last week. This does not require the bank to allow for four times the combined income or the income. Some bank might decide to go conservatively and do three, three and a half Um so there are multiple things at play here. The, Christine Lagarde has indicated that the ECB will increase interest rates at least twice, if not up to five times more if things continue to go as they're going. Anybody who's living in the real world will understand that while the technical academic amount of inflation being quoted is 9% or 8 point, whatever it is, it's relevant. The real effective one is probably 15, 20% for anybody else who's living in the real world because certain things are excluded from the academic number. So there's a lot of play. Is it a good idea? It's no harm. I think it's, um, it's appropriate. I think it will help some people. And for those people who it will help, uh, it won't put them under too much pressure. The extra uh, amount won't put them under too much pressure. It will mm-hmm. get them just over the limit they were trying to get over beforehand. Uh, availability of property is still a massive issue. And I don't think it will push up property prices because it's not just a single application for four times. It's got a whole host of other things in the background that are changing month by month. Banks operate at a snail's pace. Lenders operate at a snail's mm-hmm. pace. And because of that, they actually disadvantage borrowers a lot more because things change so fast in the current climate that your application is nearly out of date in three weeks' time. 
Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, the rules were brought in uh, to play uh, for very good reason, though. Uh, um, the limits on borrowing, uh, because it, it happened following on from uh, the crash and, and uh, circumstances changed for a lot of people. People may be able to afford the repayments as things stand, but as we've learned uh, to... Uh, our detriment. Uh, circumstances can change. People can lose jobs. Uh, the economy can crash and there may not be another job to get and it may prove impossible to pay back your mortgage and there's people living in houses now uh, that uh, somebody else is paying the mortgage for them. No, completely. And I think it's all of those set of circumstances. And also, the, the part we've discussed this over the years, mm. Michael, one of the parts we forget about is the mental anguish that causes. Like, we can't underestimate the difficulty and harm that that causes people. Uh, and prior to the crash, you know, the women five and six times salary levels given. The three and a half times was a sensible intervention by the central bank who were there to protect consumers and to ensure some reasonable stuff that came along. But the difficulty now is that the cost of fuel, the cost of heating, the cost of food, the cost of clothing, the cost of everything has gone up. So mm. anyone being assessed for mortgage today and looking at four times your salary in Parallel with that now becomes a much higher cost of living. The distance between what you could afford on a monthly basis a year ago and what you could afford on a monthly basis today is shrunk. And that's a, te- that's a big problem for people to, to be able to live and survive and not put themselves under pressure. So a sensible approach is needed from everybody, including borrowers. And I think the most important thing for everyone is to keep their head, get the proper advice from an independent broker. Mm. And, uh, you know, make sure they don't put themselves under pressure. And uh, this will help, though. This will help those people who are already, my view on this is, this will help those who are already able to afford a reasonable amount, but not enough uh, to to purchase a place. I still think the supply is going to be a great issue. And in parallel with all of this, builders are having great difficulty with costs going up, not being able to build a lot of, um, you know, that we've seen recent, uh, the mail on Sunday, and I know John Drennan had a piece of Monday in the mail, which clearly indicated there's a major concern about the level of houses that are going to be built now. Um, and I think that's a big challenge for people as well. So there's a mm. lot of, mm. this is very stormy, difficult wars, and this is a very stressful situation. Mm. Like we talk about people who are in difficulty being under pressure. Any of your listeners who've gone through the process of bidding on a home and engaging in a home and trying to comply and go through a mortgage application, it is the most difficult swamp you will ever come up against, the most emotional one you will ever come up against. And it's critical people keep their heads and get proper independent advice. And and there's never any guarantees. There's always a a risk to taking out a a mortgage uh, for people individually. You don't know what's going to happen to you. You could end up having an accident uh, and uh, whatever income uh, you're uh, uh, on now uh, could change uh, and be reduced to nothing and you'd lose the house and so on. But the risk, I suppose, uh, that the central bank would have been concerned about when it introduced uh, these laws was... uh, that there was uh, such a, a risk to so many people of finding themselves in that situation if there was to be an economic crash. Uh, you don't believe that the risk is that great and we won't see uh, a lot of these houses that were half built in 2007 and 2008 and never finished uh, in the years to come. I think I think we've got a real, I think there's a real problem. I'm actually talking to you from Sligo where the Irish Council of Social Housing with their, their, their biannual conference on housing and sustainable housing and a lot greater experts downstairs in the room, hundreds uh, in relation to housing and stuff. And I think there's a real concern a lot of developers and a lot of lo- all the local authorities. And any of the conversations that have been had this morning and yesterday evening at dinner and stuff is there's a deep rooted concern that properties will not be built now. How, how is it, one of the builders said to me, just, how do I build my 40 houses where historically I could have sold them off the plans? I sold six out of 22 recently, where all 22 normally would have been sold in another development I had. Yeah. What, what do I do now? Do I go and build at a price that is increasing? 
I add in the block levity and now I come to a situation where I am hoping that David can afford to buy my house mm. from me in two years time and I've got no clue what's ahead so mm. I do genuinely think rights and wrongs whatever we can give out about developers and stuff and all of that that's yeah. fine but ultimately the houses have to be built and I think there's a real concern now to say oh, there's no certainty at the end of the mm. building process now and they're, 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 they're worried obviously about the added costs from that concrete levy yeah, the concrete levy, among other things, like they'd say mm. 5% and 5% is 5%, but mm. sure, uh, as he said to me, like David, it, it is more, 5% is only one aspect of this. That's a concrete levy, but mm. your concrete's going to go up separately. And metal is a phenomenal increase, 40% increase in metal since mm. they would have started construction last year. Wood gone up. So where do you draw the line? Wages going up. So this is a complete spiral now. And what do you do as a developer, as a pure raw business person? What do you do? Do you gamble or do you not? All right. And, well, it's a big challenge. Uh, okay, and that challenge comes uh, to a market uh, which is suffering uh, and has been suffering for 10 years. This crisis going on for that long because uh, of the difference between supply and demand. Uh, the supply has not been able to meet the demand, so that'll worsen. And with that, more problems undoubtedly will come down the road if uh, that turns out uh, to be the case and uh, building dries up. Uh, and uh, that brings us to the problem that people have in finding somewhere to rent and this uh, evictions ban. Uh, what do you make of uh, the ban? Uh, is it going to allow people to stay in their homes? Yeah, look, the eviction ban, I think, is a slight distraction. Um, people don't like me here saying that, but I think it's a slight distraction. I think um, it'll help people for the winter. Uh, I think really it's a compensation for the lower levels of houses that were supposed to have been built during the first quarter of COVID. I think that's actually what the real reason for this is, that the numbers of properties out there have been reduced into the market, both for sale and for rent. And, um, you know, a lot of the small, um, uh, what's called, landlords are going to run out of the country. And my own controversial view on this is the same as it is the mortgage arrears. There needs to be a fast-track process to deal with messers. Mm. If you're messing, if you're not paying your rent, and you're acting up and you're doing harm to a property, there should be a fast-track system to throw you out mm. unequivocally. That would free up a lot more properties for those people who deserve those properties. The exact same thing in relation to those in mortgage arrears. They're, this is not about, this is about necessary evictions and unnecessary evictions. And there most certainly needs to be a level of protection for the vast majority of people, Michael, mm. the vast, vast majority of people who are decent. This distraction now is about, and the rules about the eviction do not allow for the evictions to, to cease for non-payment and for antisocial behaviour. But I would actually go a step further mm. and say fast-track an eviction process for the yeah. messers yeah. and let's protect everybody else. All right. Uh, the objective is to uh, protect people. Uh, would you be worried that there could be the unintended consequence uh, that landlords may throw their hands up and say, oh, to hell with this uh, and oh, decide to sell up? Michael, this is the marketplace is, is the greatest swamp known to man at the moment with many, many, many landlords leaving. And I, I urge the Minister at the time uh, to say, why don't you intervene through the housing agency to allow landlords to have a safe exit and access a safe sale of the properties to protect the market? And that's what should have happened. There should be a safe haven for those people who wish to go. And like, I, I, you know, many people don't like landlords. I'm not a landlord myself, mm. uh, but I've got great respect for landlords, for good landlords. And I've got great respect for good tenants. And I think the key word here is good. And those who are good landlords providing a good service should be protected. Because there's a foolish concept to think that landlords are all bad and that that old landlord, that old landlord. But landlords provide an essential, critical service. And I'll tell you one thing, Michael. I don't want to live in a country where the vast majority of rented properties are owned by vulture funds. That's what's happening now. Okay. That's not good news. 
All right. We'll leave it there for the moment. Thanks as always, David. Thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, David Hall, CEO of iCare Housing and co-founder of the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. If you've been in touch with us uh, and you've been complaining about food or oil or electricity or anything else for that matter, John and Navin would ask you to stop, watch and listen to the news and be aware of the awful situation that's taking place in Somalia where it's been warned that thousands of children are at risk of dying from starvation. It puts the situation here into perspective. We shouldn't be complaining. We don't hear of children dying from hunger in Ireland says John thank you indeed uh, for that John there's a lot of bad happening in the world and indeed as a result of the war uh, in Ukraine and uh, indeed other incidents we've been talking about neutrality quite a lot uh, we had quite a, a lot of discussion on the programme uh, this week uh, about neutrality a local Fianna Fáil TD Thomas Byrne saying uh, that uh, we should uh, put it into a, a, a different light and change what we perceive to be neutrality here's a, another Fianna Fáil member uh, talking about neutrality let's hear what Willie O'Dea had to say This country has a long and very honourable tradition of military neutrality. It's a policy that's enshrined in the Constitution and it's a policy that has served this country well, particularly when you when you uh, think of the regard and the respect which Irish peacekeeping troops enjoy all over the world. It's also very important from a diplomatic point of view where the country is seen as an honest broker, not aligned to any side militarily. Now, my question is, does the government propose to ask the Irish people to jettison that policy to enable this country to join a military alliance. And from time to time, in terms of a broader issue, there has been talk of, and I've, I've suggested the convening of a citizens' assembly if people want to discuss the, the, the wide-ranging nature of that. But no, is the answer. No, for the moment. Anyway, until that citizens' assembly, that's uh, Taoiseach Michal Martin. Michal Martin has been talking uh, a lot uh, recently about Sinn Féin and an interview with Shane Ross. Uh, and uh, indeed, if Sinn Féin uh, is taking it on itself, that as a policy to thwart debate uh, it's taking legal action. Uh, yesterday uh, he made a clarification about this to the Dáil. Um, Alaskan Quill, if I could very quickly, um, last week joined the order of business uh, in an exchange with Deputy Paul Coe. It was a very brief exchange um, where whether I shared his concern about some journalism of that week's Sunday Independent regarding an interview recorded with former Minister Shane Ross about his book on Deputy Mary Lou MacDonald being dropped. In agreeing with Deputy Kyo, I speculated that the reason the interview was dropped may have been a fear of being sued. And I also said that, quote, apparently a political party got access to the interview, unquote, but that I stood to be corrected. Uh, a closer reading of the interview showed that it was actually extracts of the book that were to be offered uh, to, to, to Sinn Féin rather than the interview. I'm happy to clarify that and to collect the correct record. The record. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the Taoiseach Michal Martin correcting the record of uh, the Dáil yesterday uh, because uh, what he said had been incorrect. Now, uh, as you know, there was a protest uh, from Beliver uh, to Trim yesterday. Uh, parents uh, and children indeed walked 17 kilometres uh, because there's not a, a place on the school bus for about 17 of uh, these children. This is an issue that was also raised in the Dáil yesterday. Slate, there was a school bus protest in Beliver County Meath and I joined with students and parents who walked the 15 kilometres in windy, foggy country roads uh, to the schools in Trim. They were forced to do so by the broken promise of the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, 
Three months ago, Norma Foley promised with much fanfare that due to the cost of living crisis and due to the climate crisis, that there will be free school bus places available to students who need them across the country. Yet three months later, this is not resolved. And there's a pattern emerging here, Taoiseach. This is where government ministers, to loud fanfare, make promises in relation to a service to be delivered without doing the necessary work to put the capacity in place. And there, for months later, uh, people are struggling uh, as a result to it. And what I would ask you, Taoiseach, if you could, given the, the, the severity of this issue on these families, if you would try to get your office to engage with uh, the Department of Education and find a, a solution for these students and parents in Beliver. Uh, Deputy Tobin, again, the Minister um, has dramatically reduced costs for thousands and thousands and thousands of people because of the initiative she took in relation to free school transport. That's 650 per family that she saved and an extra 21,000 above the 100,000 availed of it. Yes, some then, unfortunately, because of the increased demand. Now, the option would be not to do anything. But in fairness, um, this has had a huge beneficial impact on thousands and thousands of families. And the Minister's working flat out with CIE and others to make sure we can get everybody covered and get more buses in place to cover anybody um, who, who's so far not covered in terms of the concessionary scheme. That's Micheál Martin. I'm not sure, based on what the Taoiseach said, what influence uh, that protest yesterday will have had on the government. Now let's go to Dundalk and uh, some of uh, the heating problems in Carlin Hall. Taoiseach, Carlin Hall in Dundalk um, is one of these communal district heating systems. It has um, in around uh, 200 homes in it. And, and look, the fact is, at the minute, uh, the prices have been ri- uh, risen. We're now talking about 42 cents per kilowatt uh, hour. Frontline provides um, heat. So therefore, um, look, I, I have dealt with the ministers. I have dealt with the department. It looks like the long-term fix is looking at the possibility of biomass or geothermal. We need to ensure that we have the grant schemes that can deliver on that. Of course, I would like to see a cap, but I definitely think we have to facilitate that the electricity credits would be made available to these people and that we would also possibly look at the idea of a business energy supports scheme that, that a frontline were able to avail of it once it was uh, delivered on, the savings were delivered on um, to those people that are obviously under incredible pressure. The long-term fix is already underway, but we need a short-term fix to get people through what's going to be a brutal winter. Right, that's Rory O'Murko speaking in the Dáil last week. There was no response to that, uh, but yesterday Deputy O'Murko was back raising the same issue again. Yes, uh, Taoiseach, uh, last week I asked you about the possibility of the business energy support scheme or some bespoke scheme for um, the likes of Frontline who provide um, heat and they buy the gas for a communal heating system like Carlin Hall in Dundalk. Now obviously we would need to make sure that that was passed on to the residents but I think it's something we need to look at um, as soon as possible. You might send in the details of that. I don't know whether you've spoken to Minister Simon Ryan in relation to it but he is looking at other similar interventions and other kind of anomalies that have arisen. Uh, and I think he would be anxious to help in any genuine situation like that. Taoiseach, uh, I will pass on uh, that, that information. I, I do think, um, as has been said, we need a bespoke solution in the short term for communal um, heating systems or district heating systems, particularly that are powered by gas, um, which obviously doesn't work long term. 
the solution is actually to change them uh, to biomass or, or, what, or uh, geothermal, and that's something that has to be facilitated. I'm just going to very quickly bring up the fact that a company was on to me in County Loud, um, and they say, yes, B networks have passed on to all electricity providers an increase, which means for this company that are already facing huge increases, that it's an extra €22,239 a year that they're looking at on top of what already is the case. I think it's, this is something that specifically needs to be addressed. And Deputy Moriku, um, I think we've both agreed on that, that perhaps bespoke models in respect of domestic heating and uh, we're keeping the wider issue of... of um, supports for businesses and protection of jobs under review. Taoiseach Michal Martin responding to Sinn Féin's Rory O'Muraku. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 660 Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.